More than a year ago, the container ship Rena ran aground on the Astrolab Reef off the Tauranga coast. What unfolded is now known to be the country's worst maritime environmental disaster. Millions of tourism dollars were lost to the area and thousands of birds died. As the region heads into its busiest period, this Radio New Zealand Insight programme takes a look at where the Bay of Plenty has recovered from the Rena crisis. It's heartbreaking. Oh, no, that's appalling. I'm kind of speechless. This is pretty uh, unbelievable stuff. We don't know how long it's going to be in there. If it stays in there for a long time, it's really going to hurt us then. It'll ruin all our seafood. That's our livelihood over here. We live off the land and the sea. That was the feeling more than 12 months ago. This is how some people in Tauranga feel now. It seems to have just gone quiet now. Yeah, we don't, we don't hear right, nothing yeah. about it. And I work over at the Mount, so it's, it's, it's packed. It was, weekends have been really, really good, so you know, it's, it's all positive. We're going to have a great summer, so yeah, yep. it's all good. I'm Lorna Perry, and in this insight, I investigate the recovery of the environment, businesses and community in Bay of Plenty following the Rena crisis. This time last year, it wasn't known how much of a financial impact the Rena would have on the $450 million Bay of Plenty tourism industry. As it turned out, the Rena set the sector back by millions. Papa Moa is where oil washed ashore as a slick about a week after the Rena ran aground. Most of it was cleaned up within days by volunteers and trained people. But some feel damage to the image of the region had already been done. Overlooking the beach is the Papamoa Beach Top 10 Holiday Resort, which its general manager, Rebecca Crosby, says took a hit with occupancy last summer. A lot of people did cancel. The first week alone after Rena hit, we refunded just on $45,000 worth of deposits. So, needless to say, I was very nervous and really having to scramble and figure out what I might be in for financially uh, and how we were going to combat that and how we were going to handle it. In the end, it was very much about communication and convincing people to just wait, not cancel just yet, uh, to see what happened with the clean-up and those sorts of things. And by being able to give them the facts, not what the media was showing on TV, um, we did manage to convince quite a vast majority to hold off from cancelling. Visitors to this holiday park on average spend about $6 million locally. By summer's end, visitor numbers were down substantially. The holiday park is one of a group of Bay of Plenty businesses that have signed up to a class action against the owners of the arena. Our losses were very large, um, one of the largest within the claimant group, so I, th I think it is the largest, and, and we're in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for us to get back to the level that we were at, and you know, we've, we've had three years worth of a recession and everything as well, the economy's not looking fantastic for next year, um, it's going to take us a long time to get back to where we were. And I have obviously a business to think about our livelihood, my staff's livelihood, um, the local economy. I have business owners knocking on my door every now and then going, how are you doing? What are, you know? What is this going to mean for me? Um, and I'm not saying it's a be all and end all, but it's going to take a lot of time. Hi. Hey, Hello, Max, how are you? Good to see you. And nice to meet you. Max Mason. 
Chief Executive of the Tauranga Chamber of Commerce. The numbers, um, you know, were initially affected were, were, were what we, it was fairly small, but then uh, we did a, a survey for the Ministry of Social Development, and we in fact found that the numbers were uh, much much bigger than that. Um, you know, so we went out to our members and the wider business community, etc., and there were you know well over a hundred businesses that were affected. But I guess it depends on the the degree of of um, you know impact. Uh, some were just simply, uh, as I say, um, could not operate at all. The complete cash flow just stopped there and then. Others um, were impacted in a negative way because things started, you know, the, the started drying up. For example, some of the motels, the hotels, the campgrounds, etc. People started hearing, you know, overseas and, and in, the, in the New Zealand economy, thinking um, and seeing all the images as well, and, and hearing the news reports, uh, and getting the the the, the uh, you know the news that that in fact it was likely that this event was going to continue to impact on the beaches um, in Tauranga and in the water. So they started, um, our businesses here started getting um, cancellations and queries, uh, etc. for the summer period, and that was really what hammered us. So we had a, it was very tough, you know, for our tourism operators um, and fishing, you know, operators as well. Uh, many of them were not able to go much, much wider. Um, some of the bigger fleets, of course, could with bigger boats, but the smaller boats and smaller fleets simply didn't have the ability to you know, to, to go to wide um, you know, other areas to fish. So they were impacted pretty seriously. But the feeling now is the region is heading towards more of what people would regard as a normal summer. I'm still a little bit nervous as to how the season's going to go. Um, I'm not going to have a really good idea until end of November, early December as to where we're sitting compared to last year because people still do book last minute a lot. Uh, so we're still waiting for a lot of the end of January bookings to come in and so far, the phone's going, the email's going nice and steady, so feeling quite positive and gut feeling it's going to be good, but still just have that little nervous bit that, yeah, it may not come off as we hope. For Russ Hawkins, who runs the fishing business Fatboy Charters, the feeling is the same. Well, I'm feeling fairly positive, actually, um, partly because of a new website, but I'm getting a lot more inquiries just in the last couple of weeks. And um, I know that even the local community, a lot of the uh, accommodation people are feeling a lot more positive. Um, the bookings are starting to come back to normal. There's no knee-jerk reaction like there was last summer that really just ruined the, the summer for the, the visitors as such and the bookings. And I suppose as well you're actually out on the water this time of the year as opposed to this time last year when you basically couldn't head out. That's absolutely right. You've just had three days in a row of great weather and, um, and generally good fishing. So, no, we're all um, feeling a lot more positive. Rhys Arrowsmith says people seem to have accepted the area is now clean. The legacy of, of Rena doesn't seem to be hanging around. Um, I guess there's some little concerns um, from us from a tourism perspective is that has people's habits been uh, broken? You know, did they come here for years and uh, suddenly they've uh, tried somewhere else different last year and, and that's broken the habit? I don't actually think that's that's going to be the case, uh, you know, largely because uh, the whole of North Island had a pretty ordinary weather last year. And certainly early numbers, we have three phases into our tourism season. We have the early bird uh, people booking, um, that's back in October, and they were very, very positive numbers. And then the second phase is, uh, is, is now, November, and again, that's looking back to normal. Uh, and of course, then we have um, the latest trend, which has been happening for a number of years throughout um, international um, tourism uh, booking habits, is that people are leaving a lot of stuff to the last minute. However, some businesses are still being directly affected by the wreck that remains on the reef. 
Max Mason says an exclusion zone in place around the ship to ensure salvage operations continue safely and without hindrance from other vessels is restricting some operators from going about their normal business. There are instances um, where the, the, the exclusion zone is still impacting on those businesses. Um, you know, for example, um, dolphin uh, and whale watch type activities. Uh, boats are, are going out and, and watching a pot of dolphins, uh, for example, and who might um, swim into the exclusion area and the boats can't, can't um, you know, follow them. So there's an opportunity lost to give the, the, um, the customers who have paid good money you know, on the boat the ability to, uh, to go and, and, and see those dolphins. So, so things like that are happening. Uh, another way is um, that one of the great fishing grounds in Tauranga is uh, Astrolab Reef. Um, and you know, any, any given day in the summer, and um, you know, there's, there's a good number of boats around that area. So they can't now operate uh, in, you know, in that area. So that detracts a little bit from the fishing experience. Um, there are certainly lots of other areas to go to, but the Astrolab was, uh, was something special. Yeah, it has obviously um, affected the, the fishing around that area. And, and also, having said that, we've had to go to other areas that are outside, obviously outside the exclusion zone. So therefore you tend to put a bit more pressure on those other areas. Now, in regards to the size of it, um, to what it would be reduced to, you'd be thrilled if it was one nautical mile, ideal if it was a kilometre why not the whole thing? You'd love it to be the whole thing. And as you say, even a kilometre would be fantastic. Um, I have my doubts that'll happen. Hopefully in, in time, and I would like to be positive about this, that hopefully six months or less it might be um, back to normal so that there is no exclusion zone and everybody's happy. In a written statement, the regional harbour master says it's essential to have an exclusion zone in place to help minimise the risks of the salvage operation. We are currently in the process of reviewing the exclusion zone, which includes consulting with key stakeholders. We are looking at making some changes to the exclusion zone and expect to announce these over the coming weeks. The environment in Bay of Plenty in many respects, like tourism, is also returning to some form of normality. The oil still happened in the middle of the bird breeding season um, and, and more than 2,000 birds were found dead. The number the found is estimated to be a tenth of the total bird deaths caused uh, by the spill. Half the bird populations that survived at the height of the getting back on track. 60 endangered New Zealand dodfuls were preemptively caught and held at a wildlife facility near Mount Monganui. 20 were taken from Makatu Spit and not all of them returned. Unfortunately we lost three from here out of our 20 we lost three which was a, a surprisingly high rate but no, we obviously no way of knowing what the factors were that might have caused that to be higher than, you know, Pukahina they took four and they were all fine, you know, so to speak. What are we going to do here? We'll walk around, we've got a, we've got a note, the dot rules, see there's one here? And some of them are banded from the dock from when they were here with the Rena. Some of our birds haven't returned here. Um, and that must give us sort of indication. Well, it's not entirely unreasonable that, um, you know, if they got picked up and taken away for a couple of months, they, they lost the link. 
that connects them to here or it was a bad experience and therefore they're going to go and look somewhere else because they do in the winter they move around anyway and so it's only in the spring that they come back to Makatu specifically uh, to breed so maybe that was you know it had an impact on them in some way but that certainly seems to be the one the t you know the two things you can see from from the, from the arena is that we have just slightly fewer birds than last year and that some of the birds that were here last year aren't here this year. I'm on my way to the mount now where a master's student with Massey University, Karen Sivright, is undertaking a survey of the little blue penguin in their breeding season. Now when the arena ran aground it was in the middle of the breeding season so it basically brought things to an abrupt halt and there was very little to no breeding that took place last season. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not more than a year on there has been any disruption to their breeding or whether or not things are back to the way they were before the arena ran aground. The initial feeling of, you know, oh my God, what's going to happen to these animals? I mean, are they going to survive? Are they going to be able to recover? I mean, there were masses of birds that died and a whole of them went to rehabilitation. You didn't know what was going to happen there. Were they going to survive? And But then it was really positive that, um, yeah, 355 birds they were released from the rehabilitation and now we're just monitoring them, you know, ongoing monitoring, trying to see, you know, how many of them are we reciting? And the numbers are, you know, it's not hugely high at the moment, but it's increasing. And it's really positive to see that the birds are reproducing as well. That's sort of the key thing. This summer, the Department of Conservation will also be monitoring islands around the Bay of Plenty to see if any invasive pest species have established, as the area manager for Tauranga and Rotorua, Andrew Bauke, explains. International ships, um, they're a, I guess they're an ecosystem in themselves because they carry uh, insects, reptiles, mammals from all over the world potentially. And when they hit an island, uh, those pests um, will do their best to survive and they'll be on flotsam and so one of the risks that we've faced is uh, we've got pest free, a number of pest-free islands out here and the, the risk to us is that some of those pests um, have got onto the islands creating a significant biosecurity risk. One of our prime focuses for the summer is actually to spend time on all the islands and do um, quite intensive monitoring for uh, invasive insects or reptiles that might be there. Has there already been some evidence that there has been a biodiversity incursion? No, we haven't, we haven't got any specific evidence. Um, we've done some initial monitoring on uh, on all of the islands and um, the islands that actually had um, flotsam from the, from the wreckage. The initial uh, investigations have determined that there isn't anything there, but um, we won't know for sure because it takes a while for invasive species to establish themselves, so you often don't see it straight away. So that's why this summer is actually very critical for us to, to do those investigations. My name is Chris Spadishill. I'm the Professor of Coastal Science for the University of Waikato, and I'm based here in Tauranga, and we're currently sitting in uh, the generalist lab at uh, our field centre in Sulphur Point. There hasn't been a day or indeed a, a weekend that's uh, gone by that we haven't been doing something with Rena. Is it back to pre-Rena, the environment? How is it looking? For a greater extent, um, if we don't find any further evidence, for instance, in reproductive process demise and um, in the Kaimawana species, then we would probably support the, the concept that the wider Bay of Plenty is, is returning to some form of normality.
mindful, of course, that there are other things happening out there like um, PSP. Uh, for the reef itself, it's an event that is unfolding, unfortunately. It's only recent evidence that uh, dangerous goods and other contaminants are mobilising outside of the wreck itself. And I think, from what I understand, the speed at which the ship is breaking up and stressing um, is also fast and has only recently been recognised. Catherine Taylor, who was the Director of Maritime New Zealand when the Rena ran aground, now leads the Ministry for the Environment's recovery plan. Thousands of samples of Kaimoana species are being tested for polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PAHs, that could be left behind after the visible oil is cleaned up. I think the way in which the environment has recovered from the impacts of the oil is something that is surprising the scientists. We're not there yet but they are surprised at how quickly um, particularly the sandy beaches have recovered. So that's a real positive. We are still learning and we still don't know what we don't know about the impacts of some of the uh, container contents in the marine environment. The scientists, when they are given information, immediately go and search out that, um, you know, the answers. And that's also looking at the effect on Kaimoana as well and, and the long-term you know, uh, PAH levels in the Kaimoana. We're interested in all impacts that this uh, wreck might have on the environment. Um, it's now uh, expanded to metals, uh, certainly PAH levels, and the impact on Kaimoana is of importance to us as well. The impact the wreck has had on Kaimoana species has been a central issue for iwi attending the Temuana Atoi Iwi Leaders Forum. Um, my name's um, Tewanui Arangi, or Awanui Black. Uh, I'm the present chair of the Te Moana Toi Iwi Leaders Forum, which was formed originally in response to the grounding of the, the Rena on the Astrolabe, or as we know it, Te Tau o Taiti, um, <clears throat> a reef. Uh, off of Motiti Island. Kaimoana, that's, that's a big yes. issue amongst iwi as to when is it safe enough mm. to eat kaimoana again. Uh, is that you know one of the central issues? Yes, um, kaimoana, yes, definitely that's reoccurred uh, again from day one and um, is still there. Uh, and, and I think, um, and again, it's, perhaps it's, uh, it's symbolic in many respects. It, it, it's a practical one. You know, and I remember getting raised in one of our other hui about this, and they said, oh, no, the PAH levels are fine, blah, blah, blah. And one of the people there who was one of our people who's very, very knowledgeable on um, toxins, etc., he said, OK, there are others in the community might have a half a dozen pippies in their fritter, you know. Uh, and, yes, of course the PAH, PAH levels are fine for them. Uh, you know, we'll have 50 they're not in a fritter. About 15 families have lived on Mortiti Island, about seven kilometres from Astrolab Reef, for generations. Its shoreline was littered with oil and container debris that had spilled from the ship. That has all but been cleared away, but effects still linger. 
My name is uh, Nepia Ranapia. I'm uh, a local elder of Mōtitiāla. Okay. Now we're we're here today to listen to to the progress, I guess, and to have a look at first hand and the debris and the destruction of the rena. At the hui, Nepia Ranapia, along with other Mōtiti Islanders, saw images of the debris that lies on the reef where the stern broke off and away from the bow. More than a year on from the grounding, he says seeing that footage has made him realise the scale of the crisis. When it first happened, it doesn't really strike home. But heaven, six months later, you see the reality there with everything that's happening around that. But then when the dust has settled and you have a look at, at the scale which is at now, it's really come home that, hey, we're in for the long haul here. The rain it could be seen from almost anywhere on the island. It's slowly disappearing from view now as salvers dismantled the bow section piece by piece to below the waterline. Te Amatehaire from Motiti says the life force of the people is linked to what happens on the reef. I think the Maori of the people will never be, will never come back unless that's cleared up. And I think once that happens, everything will, will be fine. If it does stay there, is there any way to view the reef again in a new light? Certainly it'll be viewed differently. It's just like having somebody we hold dear that, you know, has suffered an injury and will never be healed. Aubrey Hoete from Mōtiti says the dangers may be too great for the wreck to be completely removed. The seas out there are quite rough and quite... I really... I know it's a risky job going down to that depth to try and remove the hull, but I don't want anyone to get hurt or have an accident just trying to remove the, the hull of the ship. Whether they cut the ship up in sections and move, remove it may be a bigger task than just leaving it as it is. Sometimes I prefer maybe safer to leave the ship as, as it is but made safe, make safe. But would you want to see it left there? Overall I would like to see it go but if there's dangers, uh, high risk and dangers trying to remove it, I don't think... We don't want to, I don't want to feel that they should have a memory of a ship on the rock and then later on someone has drowned just trying to remove that ship. It sort of doesn't feel right to me. Oil and container debris also washed ashore at Matakana Island, the home of about 260 people. Donna Puka, I'm from Matakana Island. My name's Nisi Cooker, I'm from Matakana Island. We knew that the debris was inevitably going to come, so we sort of were half prepared um, for that. We just didn't realise how hard it was going to be, how aggressive it all came. So so we were prepared, but we sort of weren't prepared for that picture that we got on that day when it finally did hit. It was just frightening, eh, Don? Mm. That whole thing there. And some of that debris is still being found today. Yes, yeah, so Alpha, I know there's uh, seven of them. They work five days a week, um, work six hours a day. I'm still collecting bead, bits and pieces of containers, and every now and then... Um, Braemar House um, would come with a, a, a horse truck and because and, there's planks of wood that still washes up as well, so they go and collect those. Our main specific cause now is, is, is the beads. That's what, we're, that's what we're centred on. They're both expecting debris, such as the translucent plastic beads, to continue to appear on the beach for a while yet. It would be good to be able to have you know, definitive 
info or evidence on that, but you just don't know, eh? Yeah, and, and, and you know, like, if we had some sort of level of comfort would, would be that they go, we've got all the containers, we've got the ship, you know, then you, then you can sort of say, oh, it might be all over now. But until that happens, it's just inevitable that it's going to come to shore. Just like everything else, it'll, it'll find its way to the shore. Neil Lloyd is from the international clean-up company Braemar House that's been helping out with recovering debris from the Rena. It's never really been our expectation to put a deadline and say, OK, it's going to be finished by this point. Um, I think what we've achieved, and when I say we, I'm talking to the collective, I think what everybody's achieved that's working on the job has, has been remarkable. And I think a lot of people may see it as being as taken too long. But when I look at the, what we've had to do and the difficulties in doing that, it's been very, very very effective, the, the recovery operation. Um, and as for how long this is going to go on for, I know our instruction from our, our principals, the owners and the, uh, the insurance, is that we do it to the satisfaction of the, the, local, the local people, the local community and the New Zealand government. As for the future of the wreck, it's still undecided. I'm Captain John Owen. Uh, I'm the senior claims manager at the Swedish club and day to day I've had uh, the responsibility for project managing the RENA file uh, from Greece and on the occasions that I've been uh, here in Taranga. When is a decision likely to be made? Uh, we've recently engaged with the community at two open days. Um, we're working on the feedback from those open days. Um, there is uh, certainly a, a, a feeling uh, within the community um, that things have, have moved on and, and perhaps the, the stern section of the uh, wreck can be left in situ. Um, obviously we want to be responsible about that and make sure that it is um, dealt with uh, environmentally uh, uh, and, and socially and culturally in, in an appropriate way. The Rena's grounding is likely to continue to have an effect on Bay of Plenty in some form or another for some time to come. One of the questions being asked now is whether the country is ready for another Rena. Chris Battershill from the University of Waikato believes not yet. Are we ready for a large um, oil spill um, in the short term? Arguably not, uh, although I think Rena demonstrated that the resources could be pulled in with reasonable speed. But at the same time, we were lucky with um, the way the weather worked, I think, to everyone's advantage at the time. Into the future, uh, certainly I think the, the country's going to need to think about how it would respond to these types of things if there is an escalation uh, in oil and gas exploration offshore, particularly in deeper waters, if that was to occur, uh, as well as being mindful of the fact that shipping's only going to increase in this country. And with the shipping traffic, there is... It, arguably surprising that there hasn't been a RENA before. The salvers are more than halfway through their task of removing the RENA's bow to one metre below low tide, with 880 tonnes of steel already having been taken away. They're aiming for the bow work to be finished by the middle of January. I'm Lorna Perry and that's Insight for this week. If you have any comments or queries, we would love to hear from you via email on insight at radionz.co.nz or on Twitter at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented this program. It was produced by Philip Atolli and technical production was by William Saunders.